Welcome to Identity, a series brought to you by ID Magazine. Join me, Osman Ahmed, ID's Fashion Features Director, as I explore the enduring legacy of some of the last four decades' most influential subcultures. I think that Berlin set the standard. Like, so much fun, great music, sexy vibes, and interesting people. And till now, I think that there's nothing like Berlin nightlife uh, anywhere else. I remember going to Bergheim the first time. It is the one club in the world where you can lose track of time so completely that you don't know if it's 5 p.m. or 5 a.m. <laughs> Anything that's extra in Berlin is very extra when it comes to these things, so. Yeah, that sort of freedom was incredible. It just seemed limitless. Hello, yeah, my name is Marcel Detman. I'm living in Berlin, in Germany, and I'm a DJ, producer, and label owner. As one of the pioneers of Berlin's burgeoning techno scene in the 1990s, Marcel Detman's name is synonymous with the sound of the city. In the post-Cold War freedom, which permeated through Berlin with the fall of the Iron Curtain, a new sound was emerging, a European cousin to Detroit's legendary techno scene. Detman is now resident DJ at Bergheim, Berlin's most iconic club, and he remembers the city through all of its modern history. I grew up in a small town near Berlin, and I visited my grandparents. They lived in Mitte, close to the Bernauerstraße where the wall was. The city for me was a big, let's say, adventure playground, running through empty spaces and houses with friends. Um, later, the brother of a classmate who was, I think, five or six years older and really into the party scene, he went to clubs like Planet or Wildfish, took me at some point to Trezor. And that was in 1992, 1993. Berlin uh, was, in my opinion, a very important place for the development of electronic music. And at this time, a lot of clubs popped up, which became important meeting places for people. The clubs where visitors could live out their individuality, passion and sexuality. The party scene reflect the, let's say, everything is possible mood and made the city attractive for a lot of artists. Yeah, this scene for many of us was a place of freedom, solidarity, and that went beyond the music and also had a political and social aspects. But first, within the last hour, the East German government has opened all its border crossings to the West. The announcement, which takes effect immediately, means that after 28 years, the Berlin Wall has effectively come down. Citizens are now... The Berlin Wall had divided the city between East and West Germany 
the Soviet Union and the Western world since the early 1960s. When it was torn down in 1989, what had once been the edges of the city now became its centre, complete with a plethora of disused spaces ripe for the taking. Squatters quickly took over and a new kind of clubbing was born. Boldly DIY and open to all, this new scene marked the explosive beginning of a united Berlin's re-entry into the Western world. Marcel Detman recalls the atmosphere at the time. Berlin in the 90s was a very open and tolerant city, where people from different parts of the world and different backgrounds lived together peacefully. It was kind of experimental, as there were no rules and no industry involved, really DIY, which made it exciting. The Berlin club culture in the 90s was not only a musical movement, but also a political one. And how did you first discover that Detroit sound that was making its way over to Germany? Yeah, here we come back to the brother of my classmate. Um, it all starts with like synth pop later becomes harder like electronic body music and industrial and then uh, in 1992 he gave me some techno and house compilations and DJs and producers especially from Detroit shaped the sound of Berlin by bringing the unique style of techno and house to the city and the parties, for example, like Jeff Mills or Juan Atkins. Um, during that time, the Berlin sound developed its own characteristics. From my point of view, we developed a more minimalistic and repetitive sound aesthetic. Like the weeds that thrive in the cracks of the city streets, Berlin's cultural scene grew from the rubble of the Berlin Wall. Once established, these nascent scenes thrived. Clubs, bars and galleries, often run by collective groups, popped up all over central Berlin, and soon the city's art and music was recognised as hugely influential, with the 1999 Children of Berlin exhibition at the MoMA in New York putting Berlin firmly on the map. And I'm Sarhat Ishik, GmbH. I, was, I wasn't born in Berlin. I was born in uh, the Ruhr Valley. It's close to Dortmund, which is kind of like the height of uh, a kind of like industrial Germany, I would say. As a teenager, I guess, as a German teenager, Berlin was always the place that any teenager wanted to be. So I started going very, very early when I was like 16, 17 years old. But there's another reason that scenes tend to develop in a specific place at a specific time, and it's to do with money. Berlin is uniquely placed with a mix of rent controls and spacious apartment blocks built in the communist era, which became a hot destination for young, often creative people. I mean, I remember like friends of mine just like having like the most amazing apartments for like, you know, like... 250 euros, like 80 square meters. It was just, it just seemed limitless. Uh, the opportunities we had then, like Berlin wasn't really contributing anything to Germany's economy. So it was kind of like this 
child that was kind of needed a lot of care from, you know, the, the system. There was never really like any pressure to succeed in one thing or the other. It was, it was just, um, at least that's how I experienced it at the time. It was, it was kind of like limitless fun. There wasn't so much um, attention paid to Berlin for the same reasons that it is now. And um, I just remember wanting to, I guess, like also maybe escape my situation that I was in because I was, you know, like queer and um, I grew up with like a very large um, community and family in like the West of Germany. It just seemed like uh, for me the only opportunity to really express myself at the time. And I think for a lot of people that was that was the same energy, and um, and that's when I kind of like started meeting people and like feeling really accepted in Germany, because I I never really saw myself living in Germany until I went to Berlin. Like many great cities throughout the world, Berlin often feels like it exists independently of Germany. It has its own unique and deeply generative culture, influenced by the people who have flocked to the city scene since the 90s. Serhat's business partner, Benjamin Husby, came from London. I first came to Berlin in 2004. I don't know, it was just actually such a wonderful feeling coming to Berlin at that time. It felt in many ways a sense of freedom and youth that I was kind of had been missing in the, in the last couple of years at the time. And in which I some way felt when I actually moved to London as well, when I started studying in the late 90s, sort of the beginning of that kind of rawness and opportunity again, uh, which I've kind of just always been drawn to. And it felt like so small. It was very, um, everyone kind of overlapped in a way. Um, and also, it I don't know, I also saw some kind of beauty in it because it sort of felt like it connected to my political teenage years of being an, like an activist because it felt like even though not everything was outspokenly political I feel like that sort of the anti-establishment thing of the Berlin nightlife and uh, just felt at the time intrinsically political. It was in the mid-2000s when Benjamin moved to Berlin that the city was beginning to become a popular place for artists and DJs to come and live from all over the world. Spiros Rent is a photographer now living and working in Berlin who moved over from Athens. Because of its reputation, it always attracted people who wanted to try their luck DJing in the sense that um, in Berlin, DJing is an actual um, career option. I would also say that Berlin used to be very affordable in the sense that you could really have a part-time job and then still uh, focus on your art on or your passion I, I don't think i would become a photographer if i wasn't in berlin in the sense that i didn't have a formal training i actually studied something very different like I, um, I was an engineer before i knew that i wanted to be doing something creative and i was already living in berlin and i somehow felt that um, my experiences and the people that i'm around and uh, was something worth documenting i mean of course it was also done before but i just wanted to, sh- to share my perspective
In the 90s, there was one annual festival that celebrated the freedom of this new era through its music, the Love Parade. A huge street party that took over the city once a year, the Love Parade blasted the sounds that had been playing in Berlin's underground clubs throughout the city. You know, culturally speaking, in Germany, like everyone knew about it. Like if you're a teenager, then you know about Love Parade. And then when I first discovered it, I just immediately felt home. That's what I remember because it was way much more queer, way much more open, very political, very straightforward. Like also, people were very unbiased in how they expressed themselves and their opinions. And that's very different to what I knew from like West Germany, again, like, you know, growing up with a very large kind of like brown Turkish Arab community where I felt a little bit constrained in how I would express myself. And then suddenly I was like actually able to express myself when I first discovered Berlin for myself. Don't go anywhere, we'll be back after the break. I would say that I think that there's nothing like uh, Berlin nightlife uh, anywhere else. Every single night, there was a different club open to those who wanted to party on the regular. From the art kids of Gallery Bell in Tokyo, to the vault-like Trezor, the catacombs of E-Work, and of course the dark, grimy energy of Ostgut, which was the first club in Berlin to introduce darkrooms to a predominantly gay clientele. This would eventually become Berghain, now the most famous club in the world and notoriously difficult to get into. This legendary nightlife is what first attracted Spiros Rend back in 2011. I moved here because I wanted to be here. Like, it was a why not type of decision. Like, so much fun, great music, sexy vibes, interesting people. And I think that Berlin uh, set the standard, what other cities look up to. And I would say that throughout the time that I've been here, um, Bergen has always been on the top. The place that most people want to go, the place that you know that you're going to go and you're going to have fun, the place where you're going to meet like the hottest people, also like hear um, the best music. Like it's a combination of all of that. The thing is that Bergen is a club. Uh, where you know that you just go there on like Saturday night, the party goes on until Monday morning. You can just show up anytime until, I don't know, like Sunday night where they start admitting people. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's hard to describe Berghain to someone who's never been. Depending on the time you go, the whole club can feel different. A labyrinthine cathedral to industrial aesthetics, carnal freedom and of course the techno. Here's Lena Johnson, a.k.a. SPF DJ, a fixture on the Berlin club scene who's been playing at Berghain for years, but still speaks of it with the reverence of a superfan. I remember going to Berghain the first time uh, and, you know, everyone had been hyping it up so much and I was 
intent on not liking it for this reason. <laughs> um, but as soon as I walked in, you know, it really has a very special atmosphere and it is the one club in the world where you can lose track of time so completely that you don't know if it's 5 p.m. or 5 a.m. <laughs> um, and yeah, that sort of freedom was incredible. Um, you can go at any time of day. You know, in other in other cities, there's a peak time in the club and people go, you know, shortly before peak time and they leave when the club closes. But in Bergheim, you know, you can go at 2 a.m. and leave at 2 p.m. or you can go at 10 a.m. and leave 3 p.m. You know, it really doesn't matter. It's still the same kind of atmosphere in there. And obviously, unless you're in P-Bar when the shutters open, you don't see the outside world. You don't, you, you don't even see a glimpse of whether it's daylight or whether it's dark. It's also a place where you're not allowed to take videos or take pictures. So you just kind of don't pick up your phone as much as you might in other places. It also really had this dark atmosphere, like the lighting was dark, the spaces were dark, you know, dark warehouses. Um, the music had a very dark vibe. And that was different from the other cities that I'd been partying in before. Berlin clubs are one of the only places in the world where you can find complete detachment from daily life. The strict door policies, no photo rules and a fiendish dedication to the art of the party means that Berlin's clubs have become autonomous zones within a city characterised by its freedom. Berlin's queer community has long been influential in the city's nightlife, and the club's strict rules are predominantly in place to protect clubbers in the spaces often made by and for gay people. For the past decade, a new queer scene has been redefining Berlin's clubs, based around the idea of intersectionality. These new nights, such as Cocktail d'Amour, Heron Sauna, Bussens, Room for Resistance, and later Mala Hunter, are redefining space within the city. Berlin was always party place since the fall of the wall. The techno scene always um, was hand in hand with uh, with the gay parties, and now with like queer parties. I originally moved here not just because of the techno music or the, the house music or the electronic music, but because it was a great place for queer people. And that's the case. Yeah, but I would say that queer parties are the best parties. Queer people go out more. I mean, right. Spaces are changing, but there's always been that backing track of Berlin techno. Here's SPF DJ again why the city sounds the way it does, which is a surprisingly pragmatic approach to round-the-clock partying. In my mind, the Berlin sound is still this dark, more hypnotic and loopy sound that was very big back then. Record labels like Mord or Blueprint, Planet Rhythm, Clockworks, Soma, Arts, like labels like that. That still, to me, is very much the Berlin sound. And I think that sound was very Berlin because of the extended opening hours. When you have a club open from Saturday night to Monday morning, you can't really have like these huge tracks with the big breakdowns and big drops. 
kind of have to keep it sort of on a constant momentum for a, a, a much more extended period of time. This minimalist approach also affected what people wore. Benjamin Hughesby came from a very different club scene based in London, Soho, after his teenage years spent experimenting with outrageous looks in Norway. I grew up with club culture. It was still very much about, you know, dressing up and putting up a look when you go out. And then you come to Berlin and that is just not, the thing at all. And I, I also think particularly because even though, you know, I s- started going out before social media, we always like photographed each other with like snap cameras. It was very much about documenting. And we kind of like lived in a world where we all sort of imagined that we lived in a kind of like Andy Warhol world, you know, that was sort of like our mentality, uh, me growing up as a teenager. Um, obviously coming to Berlin where there's this kind of, a culture where you, when you're in the clubs, you don't take pictures at all because, I mean, part of it is that, you know, everything that goes on stays in the club, but it's also pure sense of escapism, uh, just get really into the music. And in the same way, like the kind of showy offness of that I was kind of used to then becomes really insignificant. Now I sort of can't imagine clubbing any other way. Like now I've, obviously it's annoying to go to a club where people are on their phones and taking pictures. And now that seems really unnatural to me, even though that's kind of how I grew up in many ways. But I think it's just a, it was just a different way than how it's done now anyway. Dressing down to dress up has always been a key feature of the art and music movements within the city, influenced by the myriad cultures that have permeated the city's scenes. But the fashion labels associated with Berlin have always had an avant-garde edge, often taking something every day, like a tracksuit or a t-shirt, but altering its cuts, exaggerating its size, and doing something surprising with the details. Aesthetically, GmbH takes up this mantle, designing within the city for the city. Sirhat Isik. That was our culture. That was our cultural backgrounds. That's how we socialized. Those were those were our friends, and those were the clothes we we wore. And then that's sort of the true story that we told. And then somehow that kind of like got spun into this narrative of. GmbH, this brand that was born on Berlin dance floors. Because I think, I mean, the things that Benjamin and I, we connected on uh, was not fashion per se. Like we both love fashion, of course. I mean, he comes, you know, from art and fashion photography. I, I studied fashion, but my interest in fashion was always because I'm obsessed with textiles and like with sculpting things and like making things. I never moved to Paris. I never wanted to move to Paris. And I think the the topics that Benjamin and I we really connected on was when we were able to kind of speak about, you know, our heritage and queerness and trauma and and also somehow like processing all of that through like the Berlin club scene. It's just like you you don't pretend to be something, right? It's just like you are either that or you're not. And it just inevitably that kind of becomes your story and that informs the clothes you make. And I think those circumstances make up the self of GmbH that 
it wasn't for us to control. Benjamin Hughesby. Deep in our core, we have this very like, um, kind of like an old Berlin kind of political bone in our work that is about like integrity and authenticity, but you can't, you shouldn't like sell out. But I think me and Sarah, we have a much more complex relationship to Berlin, to club culture, but also a much more complex interest in fashion, much more complex interest in, in identity and what fashion and identity and style means and how that is expressed and also then by default the kind of political meanings of clothing and that's what the driving source is not to try to capture any particular style but i think we embody very much a kind of political stance which very much i think is the kind of primordial berlin in a way like which i feel like is like the foundation of the berlin that we both met when we first came here One cliché that has persisted is the industrial grandeur of Berlin's clubs. This has now been exported all over the world, through copycat clubs such as Unter in New York and Printworks in London. But Berlin has also become a popping tourist destination for those who are looking to party for days on end. And that endless influx of how to get into Berghain and what to wear in Berlin TikToks have got the scene feeling pretty tired. Personally, I, I think that the way that the Berlin aesthetic has been communicated on a mass level, there's definitely something inauthentic and uh, cringe about it. I mean, I can't lie. But it's also, I mean, it's also fascinating to to observe this. But, you know, I was watching a, a TikTok the other day, like some girl in New York uh, saying, get ready with me for a night out in New York's Berghain. And basically, she was just getting ready to go to basement, which is not Berkheim, you know. And so, and I think that, I mean, and there are also, you know, there are also TikToks of um, of people who live in Berlin. But I think that I wouldn't exactly call it relevant and uh, an, authentic, an authentic representation of what the Berlin style is about. It's also been a bone of contention for the GmbH boys. I would even go that far as to say, like, we were even kind of like low key uncomfortable about like some of the things that have been kind of associated with us. You should be very careful of how you exploit and use elements of culture. It's become very clear that there's a lot of people out there that don't have those same qualms. And I think like, I think now the whole kind of idea of Berlin, like from high street to luxury to many brands abroad, but also now like many, many kind of brands pop coming out of Berlin is sort of like selling this like idea of Berlin. Here's SPF DJ again. Like, I feel like a lot of these TikTok videos it's almost like playing dress up, you know, um, whereas in Berlin, this is just not what people do for show. This is just what, what they've always done. And yeah, I mean, I think also the outfits that people think that people wear are an exaggerated version. You know, there's so many people who go to clubs in Berlin who don't wear fetish gear. And I think that's a big misrepresentation that everybody in the clubs wear fetish gear, not far from the, far from the truth. 
For those steeped in the scene, the aestheticization of Berlin has always been something to steer clear of. Spiros rent again. Club culture here, it was always mm, about not really wanting to be perceived so much. You just want to look good when you go out um, to meet your friends and like, you know, you don't really care about it, how, how it's going to live on the internet afterwards. That's what I loved about, I still love about Berlin that I can be there and all these things don't matter. Like it just uh, takes takes off the edge and, and the pressure. So I guess also like being a teenager, it's like when you're 18, 19 and um, you have the room and the space to do that with people that don't judge you. And no one even asks you what you do or what you're going to do like tomorrow or what you do in your life. It just, I always say like kind of when I first noticed kind of Berlin changing is when I was first asked in the club what I do for work. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? Uh, I've never been asked this question ever in a club. And that's when I realized I was like, oh, like, what does that mean now? There was a peak in uh, 2019. You'd meet, you know, people from Los Angeles, from New York, who just uh, be in town uh, for, you know, like a couple of weeks or a month to just, you know, party and experience the vibe. And of course, you know, it all, then it all stopped somehow in 2020, of course, because of the pandemic. For a city like Berlin, the pandemic meant big trouble. The amount of club goes at Berlin's anti-lockdown protests spoke to the dissatisfaction of many clubbers cut off from the beating heart of the city. It could even be said that Berlin still isn't back on its feet. I think that the nightlife is still in a bit of a flux. Berghain is like still king in the nightlife. I would say that their um, bookings are um, more diverse. According to SPF DJ, the sound of Berlin is changing too. My idea of what the Berlin sound is completely different to if you were, were to ask young people today. But, you know, that's changed a lot since 2016. And even in the Berlin clubs, they don't really play so much of that style of techno anymore. I think it's... it's is bringing a big change to Berlin. And uh, I'm kind of seeing like, there's a, there's a lot of friction that's coming with it. I think between the old generation who are like resisting this change, but they see it happening and they're sort of frustrated by it. But there's a lot more fun and, you know, not taking yourself so seriously. Kind of like a, more of an attitude of looking looking out for each other rather than, like, gatekeeping, you know, this sort of standoffish vibe. Are there cracks appearing in the Berlin scene? Could these divides tear apart 30 years of unity that has made the city a sought-after home for artists and DJs across the world? But at the same time, there are opportunities. This is also the beginning of a new generation. Spiritually, perhaps, the progeny of those that were there when walls came down. My name is Rashawn Glasgow. Um, my stage name is LSDXOXO. And I am a bit of a musical renaissance man, I like to call myself. Uh, yeah, I do a bit of it all. <laughs> I try to, at least. 
LSDXOXO moved to Berlin from Philadelphia in 2018. Since then, he's been a part of the vanguard, bringing a new look and sound to the city. We asked Rashawn to describe the experience at his famous Floorgasm club nights. For me, I would say it's debauchery. It's really playful in sexual music. I guess that's how I would describe it. It's also, like I said, lots of production value. It's just very, um, it's, it's, it's a lot happening. <laughs> this disruptive attitude is perhaps classic Berliner, even though the sound might not be. A typical LSD XOXO set draws in references from all over to express his own freedom. I started by asking him to describe the atmosphere at Florgasmal Snacks, Bergheim's infamous yearly men's-only bacchanal, where his eclectic sets are possibly the most talked-about dimension of a shift in Berlin music policy. Nightlife here is 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 like a really big production. It's a big it's and and anything that's extra and Berlin is very extra when it comes to these things. So the set design will shock you. Like for instance, I played snacks for the first time, and like uh, there was a boxing ring in the middle of the dance floor, people dancing inside the boxing ring, and then there's like a giant like penis like floating from the ceiling with like smoke coming from the tip of it. it it's like sensory overload, but in the best way. Um, Florgasm is very sex positive and the sound is an overall exploration of dance music, club music, honestly, all other genres of music that kind of like have like a rebellious nature, like come from just like wanting to um, explore sound and, and energy. And through Florgasm, you've been in the middle of inscating big shifts in Berlin's party landscape. Shifts that are felt in the lineups, the diversity of the crowds, even the soundtrack of the city. What's been the reception? Well, the thing, honestly, I think it was really about timing. Like, I think I just came here at a really good time. I think people were ready for something new, a different, a different sound, a different approach. At the time, I think the sound overall, the sound of the city was very much like straightforward, 4-4, techno, also obviously like house music, etc. Just all around, the sound wasn't as explorative as it is now at the time. And that was something I think that was also part of the reason why I was excited to move here. Because my a, a large part of my um, artistic identity and a large part of the, a large theme in what I do is kind of like genre exploration and wanting to like kind of like take um, this kind of like not square approach, but this kind of like straightforward approach to making dance music and kind of flipping it on its head. I'm a bit of a rebel in that sense. And um, that was something that I that was the challenge that I gave myself in moving here. Um, not necessarily to change the, the sound of the scene that I was in, but just to change my own sound and not just to change it, but to make it, um, just to, to, to have it a bit, be a bit more fleshed out. Um, and so, yeah, like the, I think the reception was overall pretty good. I think it was good that I did, that we didn't overshoot and move into spaces that weren't necessarily ready for the sound, such as Berghain. Um, we waited for that until people kind of like had a clearer sense of what we were doing and also um, until we had a clearer sense of what we were doing because I was still figuring things out, you know. It was, it was like I said, the timing was great because also pan- once pandemic happened, we had all the time in the world to figure, figure things out, you know. 
If you look at the message boards, not everyone on the German scene is enamored by this shift. But this is 2023. A new world is being built post-pandemic and new audiences are laying to rest the cliché techno TikTok memes. Yeah, there's been a pretty substantial shift, uh, probably in due to the fact due to the fact that there have been a lot more events um, happening, and a lot more um, people have moved here. Musicians have moved here who have kind of like been occupying space and um, have been given more platform to uh, be visible and showcase what they do. Um, Florgasm is very queer. Um, our crowd here is 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 very black uh, in POC early 20s to maybe like late 30s and i really enjoy that because like it's it's nice to to have to create something that you know such a large uh demographic or in terms of age can enjoy um that makes me feel that we've uh, fleshed out the sound enough so that it's not giving um like exclusion and things like that i mean yeah there's been a pretty substantial shift i would say Obviously, there's still quite a lot of work to do, <laughs> but I feel that's 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 true for a lot of places, not just Berlin or Germany. Um, yeah, the thing is, there's going to always be this like push and pull to kind of like um, preserve like the traditionalism that is that comes along with like techno here because it's it's in this city, it's such an institution, you know, and German, it's a very German approach to it, and I, I understand. But I just I want to challenge them to just kind of break, you know, break through just a little bit. Um, and people are seeing here that, you know, ultimately, like the, the, the newer generation, they come from all different cloths. And ultimately, it's just about, you know, um, how good we all are and about us all kind of injecting our own personal experience into what we do. And that that's really what makes like dance music special. So now there's a new generation taking over Berlin. The vibe is clearly changing and things can't stay the same forever. 30 years on, for young people flocking to the city, the fall of the wall feels like ancient history. Now more than ever, as Europe faces political crises and increasing threats to people's freedom of identity, Berlin's rebellious spirit is needed in the modern era. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, uh, I mean, I just remember, for example, back when Heronsona started, um, it was very cis white, gay man, and it was had kind of a very aggressive atmosphere. And people who didn't fit that, that label, they were scared to go. Uh, and it was just, everything was very divided. Obviously, sometimes division is good if it is to keep a certain demographic safe and leave them with a safe space where they don't have to feel at risk or feel like they can't be themselves. But, yeah, just I think it's overall good that there's more diversity and people feel more welcome and just more at ease around each other. It's sort of tearing down walls, you know? And I think in general that, you know, we need to be... That's a good thing, tearing down walls rather than putting them up between us. If anyone knows that, it's certainly Berlin, I guess. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> 
Identity was written and presented by Osman Ahmed, with research and additional writing by Ailey Duffy and Mohoro Seward. Identity is produced by Amelia Phillips, with assistance by Marta Abramaitite, and art by Callum Glende and Alexandra Talarcher. The audio producer was me, Robin Lieber, and Identity is a Podmasters production for Vice Media. Thank you.